Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network, home of the Firebird Book Awards and the Positive Change Podcast Awards. We also feature one-on-one interviews with important guests, people who have something to say that you need to hear. And if you have something to say and would like to be featured on the network, please visit speakuptalkradio.com for all of the details or contact us at pr at speakuptalkradio.com. I am Pat Rulo, and right now I'm so happy to share an author with you. He is Mark Shaken. Mark lives with his wife, Lauren, and their dog, Emily, in Denver, Colorado. He schooled at Haverford College and Washburn University and practiced commercial bankruptcy law for four decades before moving on in 2019 to write, photograph, volunteer, travel, and play music. He is the author of, and just like that, Essays on a Life Before, During, and After the Law, and three books in his 3J legal thriller series set in Kansas City and starring bankruptcy lawyer Josephina Jillian Jones. They're titled Fresh Start, Automatic Stay, and Unfair Discrimination. And we are about to find out more. So welcome to the network, Mark. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Before we get into your uh, books, you are quite an accomplished photographer as well. Well, thanks. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's been with me since uh, early in my high school days. I'm actually colorblind, and uh, the high school I went to had an art requirement that scared the heck out of me, and so I ignored it, and finally I took a black-and-white photography class. The camera deals with the color, and I deal with everything else. (laughs) You figured that one out, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's good. After all of these years of bankruptcy law practice, to finally be able to have some time to relax and do some of the things you enjoy. What inspired you to start writing? I've always wanted to. Um, it, it, it was one of those things that uh, I was one of those the, the pre-law uh, student kids that, that didn't really know what, what he wanted to do with his life and uh, never really figured that out in college and went to law school assuming that you know I'd figure it out in law school and I actually didn't and just started practicing law and you know 39 years later I was still doing that. But the dream had always been that I would take a couple of years off between college and whatever and write and see what happens. But um, life overtook itself and now I have the time to do that so I'm catching up on lost time. Yes, yeah, that, that's kind of the situation with most people. So the book then, your first one, and just like that, Essays on a Life Before, During, and After Law, that was your first, right? Yeah, that was my memoir of a not-famous lawyer, my <laughs> path uh, into and then out of uh, the legal business. What made you decide to write that? So that one kind of wrote itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I had um, I had this this path into the law that is not as unusual as, as people might think, but that the predominant number of people that practice law at some point had decided that's what they wanted to do. There were this there was this minority of folks like me that never really conceded that was the best thing for them to do, mm-hmm. even as they did it. Um, and and because of that, I just sort of became this internal observer of what the practice of law was like. Some of it, you know, deadly serious. It's real money and real people's uh, lives and interests uh, at issue, of course. Um, but some of it, you know, it's kind of crazy stuff sometimes when you're at a at a big law firm for a long time. Mm-hmm. And just started making notes to myself of, well, boy, I, I, there's some essays here that that could write themselves if I if I allowed them to. Mm-hmm. And when I when I um, 
when I, in my last few months of, of, of law at the firm, I had started to be much more um, intentional about writing down and outlining what this, what this book would be like. And um, so that was the book that I wrote for myself. If uh, anyone reads it, that's wonderful. But I wrote that to, to get that off my chest. The other books are for everyone else. Right, right. No, I get that. Some, some books are in there that you just need to get out so you can move on. Exactly. For sure. All right, well, let's take a peek at the first two books, Fresh Start and Automatic Stay, and then we'll dig into your current one, Unfair Discrimination. So Fresh Start, where did that come from? Um, so all the titles come from different um, things in the bankruptcy code. Mm-hmm. Um, so Fresh Start, Automatic Stay, and now Unfair Discrimination are all either concepts under the bankruptcy code or actual phrases in the, the law itself. Um, Fresh Start... Uh, and I should say that if I'm good at this, none of my books reflect any of my clients <laughs> or anybody that I that I actually practice law with or against. I was very intentional to try and, uh, to make sure that even uh, subliminally I'm not doing that because um, that would be bad. Mm-hmm. And so they really are stories that, that I've just sort of made up um, of things that could happen in a particular case on the defense. So Fresh Start is about a real estate developer who built skyscrapers that uh, 3J represents. Um, and from the minute she meets them, she's not totally trusting that he's telling her everything. She, she laments that, um, you know, people are supposed to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in court, and that this guy seems to have a problem with the middle one. What he says is true, but he doesn't tell her the whole truth. And ultimately, the question is, is he hiding assets? Um, his banker thinks, that um, he is, and um, TJ is unclear <laughs> whether he is or not. That would be a huge felony um, if, you, if you were hiding assets mm-hmm. in bankruptcy. Um, and so the book is all about whether he is or he isn't and uh, what the banker is willing to do, how far she's willing to go to prove that he's uh, a felon, if he is a felon. Wow. And automatic stay? So automatic stay, 3J's back. She's the star of all the books. Um, and um, in in automatic stay, uh, a husband and wife come in for uh, her help. They, they run six jazz clubs in Kansas City. Uh, they were also real estate developers and took their fortune and decided to open up jazz clubs in an effort to make sure that jazz stayed alive in a city that's, that's famous for its, 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 its place in jazz history. Um, it, it was one of the, the, the main places that jazz kind of sprung up in the, the, the 20s uh, and thereafter in the United States. And they come in uh, because they've survived the pandemic, but have no money left after uh, propping up the, the clubs for, for several years. And they, they need bankruptcy protection from their creditor. Um, and as soon as they file uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy, the business bankruptcy section, they they... They are the subject of an online anonymous um, smear campaign to try to put them out of business. And the book is all about whether, well, who is doing this? Why are they doing it? How will they be caught? Will they be caught in time? Will they be caught at all? Um, as um, 3J sort of heads up the, the investigatory team that tries to figure out wh- why this is happening and who's doing it. Mm. Oh, got my attention. That sounds really interesting. And I, I guess jazz is your, you play music, right? 
I do. Do you play jazz? I, I was better at jazz, but I play. <laughs> I wish I was better at jazz, um, but I do. I do play. Um, I play guitar uh-huh. and always have. Um, and would love to be better at the jazz part of the, <laughs> my musical uh, repertoire. Well, um, you still have time. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's that's a theme in all of the all of the three J books. There's something jazz going on. It would be hard to be in Kansas City and not appreciate its its place in jazz history. Right. Um, and um, and so because it's me writing it, I get to say what I'm interested in, and certainly jazz history is one yeah, of those things for sure. Um, and she is a she is a um, she's a real student of jazz, which she got from her father when she was growing up in New Orleans. I love 3J, Josephina Jillian Jones. Where did that come from? You learn a little bit more about her in the third book, Unfair Discrimination. And in the first two books, um, I was getting emails from uh, readers, people I don't know, who were asking me a lot of questions about 3J, and they wanted to know more about her. And the plan was always before they speed it out, but... Um, so she asks that question of her mother in the flashback in the new book, where did the name come from? And um, Jillian was a name they loved. Josephina was an aunt, and Jillian, of course, was the the, the, the surname. So um, they named her Josephina Jillian Jones, which is a mouthful, and she wanted to have a nickname, and her sister figured out that she played as a nickname when they were kids. I love that, 3J. I almost have the feeling like... Um... She's no longer a character to you. It's almost like part of the family. Yeah, I feel like I've met her. Um, and when I'm writing, I feel like I meet her every day. <laughs> um, but I, I, I enjoy her. I enjoy, you know, how she's sort of developing as a character and turning out in the, in the, so far, the three books. And, um, and the readers seem to be enjoying that too. So that makes it, you know, that's always hard one. Does your wife have any input on a female character? No, she was uh, not. I did not share with her that when I turned to the legal thrillers after I finished the memoir, that she was not aware that um, I was going to have a, a black female law partner in a large uh, downtown Kansas City firm be my lead. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really share much with her. She read. She was the first person to read the first book, Fresh Start, and that's the first time that she knew what, what I was up to. All righty. Well, how about then? Unfair discrimination. Give us a look into that book. So, again, three days back, and um, in unfair discrimination, um, she uh, decides to, to, to do a business pitch to try to get a, uh, a representation in a particular case. So in unfair discrimination, the, the people that owe the money, the debtors, are uh, real estate you know, developers, but in rural Kansas. Um, I said it there because another element in all the books is some American history. Uh, not everyone that, that it doesn't hail from Kansas City realizes what a role it played in the Civil War. But, um, you know, this is, in, many, in many books, the Civil War was fought over whether Kansas was going to be a free state or a slave state. So um, in this book, the, the debtors trade real estate, sell and buy real estate, and then lease it out farmland. And they they file uh, they, they file chapter 11, but don't use three years now, and 3J goes into the courthouse to pitch representing all of the unsecured creditors in the book. And she gets the business because she, the committee decides that she was the, by far and away, the best uh, lawyer they interviewed for the presentation. But the committee is headed up by 
the leader of a white nationalist organization in the same town as the debtors was. Um, and she's black. He doesn't obviously like black people as the leader of a white nationalist organization. And it sets up um, uh, sort of the conflict, uh, although this time direct conflict, between a white nationalist and an African-American female professional and how that all plays out. And he becomes more and more... Um, Guidance, I guess, would be a good way without giving away what's going to happen. Uh, as he starts to realize that he isn't getting paid back all that much and all that quickly. And that was just recently published, right? Yeah, that came out just before Christmas. That's what I thought. Fairly, fairly new. Um, any feedback? What are you getting as far as feedback from readers? So far, uh, good. You know, there's um, the the. The reading world, the so people that are buying the book online and then reading it, I, I figure that takes a few weeks before I start to see any reviews. Mm-hmm. The professional uh, reviewing uh, process has begun, and it's it's been it's been kind of rewarding and fun to read. You, you hold your breath in the modern era of star ratings about whether this is going to be a bomb or whether it's going to um, resonate with the the readers, one of the reviewers said it was the uh, gold standard of legal thrillers. That made me pretty happy. Yeah. That came out just after Christmas. So that that was a, a, a wonderful way of describing it. And, you know, if I was to dream what I'd hope somebody would write about it, that would have been right up on the top of it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You put yourself out there and you really have no idea what's going to come back. Um, so that does make you feel good. So legal thrillers, you're, you're into your third legal thrillers. Is there a fourth in the series in your mind, or are you in process? There is. Um, the fourth one is um, tentatively going to be named Cramdown, another uh, clause from the bankruptcy code. Unfair discrimination, that phrase, is a bankruptcy phrase, which is an odd one. Um, I, I taught bankruptcy law at the University of Kansas for 14 years, and when we got to talking about this phrase, everybody kind of glazed over it. And every year, somebody in the in the the class would raise their hand and say, "Is there something that about discrimination that's not unfair? <laughs> Is there such a thing as fair discrimination?" Oh wow! Um, and um, so it's an interesting juxtaposition of how the bankruptcy code deals with um, commercial and financial discrimination versus you know, how you hope the rest of the world deals with discrimination and mm-hmm. doesn't adopt a phrase such as unfair discrimination. Oh, interesting. And then the fourth is cram down. What does that mean? Cram down is a technical term under the bankruptcy code about how you can make somebody take the payments that they don't want to take. Uh, it's oh. kind of a, one of the, the more um, crass phrases in the bankruptcy code. Um, but it's in fact, you're forcing someone, a creditor, to take money over a time that would be too long a period of time and too little money. Uh, but the, the debtor, the one that owes the money, has that power to cram it down their throat. So that phrase uh, will be the uh, tentatively will be the title of the new book. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Are there more than four? Do you have more ideas going on for a, just a lengthier series? Don't know. Uh-huh. Um, I want to see how unfair discrimination goes. I, you know, I I would worry that I would tire the world out with too much to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not tired of her. I, I would like to have lunch with her someday. <laughs> um, I I um. I don't know. I just, I just sort of will go through the fourth and and, um, and see and see how I feel after that. Right. If I need to develop a, another 
uh, set of characters and have a different kind of uh, book going for a Right, right. <laughs> I keep writing. I just don't know if it'll be more CJ for a while. What other genre might you dabble in? Yeah, that would worry me because write what you know, mm-hmm. of course. And um, even though I might have been the reluctant lawyer for 39 years, I, what I know is that. Exactly. So I'd have to give some real uh, thoughts to what that would be. I enjoy throwing in the things that I love into the book, like you know, jazz and um, Kansas barbecue and you know, American history. Yeah. But whether I would be, be able to then pivot and say, okay, the principal part of the next thriller is going to be jazz or, or, or food or American history, I just don't know if uh, I haven't really um, scoped that out yet. How fun, though. Those are possibilities. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. So what is your writing process? Do you write every day? Yeah, um, I do. Um, I've, I've, I've read all kinds of things. There's as many different um, processes and subparts of the process as there are, you know, authors. But I do read about how people sit down and do the writing. And I just turned out to be one of those folks that blocks out, makes an appointment with myself and blocks out my time. Usually, you know, after my coffee in the morning, and I write for two hours minimum. And if I get ten words and that's all that comes out, then that's all that happened. But I was at the computer with my outline, and, you know, however it comes out, it comes out. More often than not, at least for me, being regular like that, um, more than more than ten words come out, and oftentimes more than two hours uh, happens when I sit at the computer. Unfair discrimination I wrote in less than three months, which oh. is, for me, um, but breathtakingly fast. Yes. Do you have it plotted out? Do you sit there and just, as it comes to you, you write? How, how do you... Uh, how do you it's yeah. More plotting out. Yeah. Um, that may come from you know, years of outlining everything as a lawyer. Yes. Um, you, know, you kind of get that ingrained into your DNA. Um, I use um, a Microsoft app called OneNote. Mm-hmm. that um, can sync your phone with your computer. So, uh, And I get grief from my wife, you know, we'll go out to eat and I'll zone out and take my phone out and start typing into OneNote in the middle of, you know, her saying something to me, which is never good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's my way of writing something down that just flashed in my head so I don't come back home and say, God, that was a great, great yeah. idea. What the heck was it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it syncs with the phone and it kind of is a self-outlining um app and um i use that extensively and it keeps me on uh, on message and on track and it keeps me organized and uh, organized for me is the most important thing mm-hmm. i've i've read you know things about authors that that wait till the inspiration hits them and they'll wake up at three in the morning when when it does and they write mm-hmm. i uh, and i i wish i was like that that'd be kind of cool but that's not me yeah you have to go with whatever and whoever you are and, and make it work for your personality for sure. And, uh, those flashes in the middle of the night, what do you do about them? Or do you, are you a sound sleeper and it doesn't happen? Well, I, um, I wake up and I take the phone off of the charger and I type something in. And for me, those flashes, those brilliant flashes at three in the morning, when I wake up then in the morning and re- read what I had written, it's it's kind of gibberish, <laughs> and it makes me wonder, you know, what was I thinking? <laughs> Why did I think this was, you know, earth shattering? Um, uh, so I, I rarely have woken up. I, I mean, I religiously write it down if I wake up, but I rarely find that what I wrote down was was um, you know, 
worth it <laughs> but not epic at all who did that yeah maybe emily's playing with the phone right yeah <laughs> let's talk about your covers because we have this distinct red and black covers going on except for your first book yeah yeah so the the, the first i saw i came uh, cover designers and editors for unfair discrimination so the first three books were done by the same designer, um, and I just wanted to, uh, who I love, but I wanted to get something um, completely different for the new book. So the, the red, and, uh, for the first two um, in the 3J series, um, they're similar by design, um, but for the unfair discrimination, I wanted something that, that reflected some of the themes more in the book. Um, so there's there's a silhouette of what could be an African-American woman um, with a bunch of numbers around it, and there's a cryptography uh, element to unfair discrimination without giving away the farm too much here. Um, and I wanted that to somehow be you know, sort of subtly reflected in the covers, so the, the new designer really um, did, a, did a great job with the information I gave. Yeah, I noticed that the first two covers were reminiscent of each other, um, not so much with, with unfair discrimination, but yet you still tied it all together with the red and the black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a bit about marketing, because if when authors listen to fellow authors, they always want to find out if there's any pearls of wisdom as far as how do you get your work out there? Anything that you do consistently that seems to work for you? So I was uh, spoiled while I practiced law. I was Two law books while I practiced, and for um, John Wiley and Aspen Publishing. So I had a publishing company that did everything. And so when I started out post retirement to write, and I wanted to self publish, it was I found it fascinating. I, I, I had no idea how spoiled I was when I was practicing law and had two publishing companies doing everything for me. All I had to do was deliver a chapter, whatever the contract said periodically. They'd edited it, they did up with the cover, they marketed the book for me, and they sent me a, a royalty check every quarter. And you fast forward to, to, to these, um, to, to the modern era, um, there's far fewer publishing companies. Um, far fewer. There, there may be five, um, depending upon what the Justice Department does with the proposed um, merger that's um, out there, a few of them. But, you know, back when I was doing it, there were 20, 25 more, you know, real publishing companies, uh, and that's just not the case anymore. So to get your work in front of a real publishing company before it was hard, and now it's virtually impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided that, given that I was sort of aging, uh, that if I was trying to find a real publishing company and cold call submitting uh, manuscripts, I might be 80 or 90 before that ever, <laughs> before I gave up, and then I'd have to self-publish. So I dove in, and I've learned something from, from, from each book. The, to me, you know, I have a list of things that at least didn't work for me. Um, I found that when I ask people to do advanced reading copies for me, and then when the book comes out to leave an honest review, that the percentage of even friends who, who do that, you know, they get tied up, they have their own lives, it's, it's reasonably low. Mm-hmm. And um, so I sort of abandoned the idea that I would delay publishing the book and go for, you know, 
ARCs with, with folks. Um, I do think reviews are super important, and so getting the book out into different um, out there to, to, to different organizations and have them have their organization members be aware that there's a book is important. So there's a large organization called the American Bankruptcy Institute. Hopefully, some of them need fiction um, of the members, and so they've been they've been really good. I was a member of that for years, and they've been really good about letting me post. Uh, the book's out and then some things about the book and um, you hope that you get some sales that way and then some reviews because I think reviews on Amazon are, are in the modern world are super important on Barnes & Noble wherever mm-hmm. the book is. You know, if I see a book that's gotten 15 reviews and has two stars, I'm probably less likely to get it than if I see a book that's just come out that has, you know, 15 reviews and has four and a half or five stars. Right. Um I think it's important to, to get some editorial reviews um, that you can use both on your Amazon author page and then on the landing page where the book is for sale. And, and then yeah, I like to do podcasts. Um, I, I didn't know I was going to like to do podcasts because the first book, just like that, came out just as the um, COVID lockdown started in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So my idea of going to bookstores died because all the bookstores were right, closed. Right. Um, so I started doing podcasts, and I would say the first few I was terrible because while I was comfortable talking, I'm, I never really had to talk about myself. I always talked about my client or the other person's client or <laughs> the law in court. So th- th- this was quite a change. But I found that as a really good way for me to get uh, out there to different audiences. And so I've done several dozen um, podcasts of the book. Um, and ranging from, you know, pivot career podcast to straight book author kind of podcast, mm-hmm. everything in between. Mm-hmm. So it's been fun, yeah. Oh, that's, that's, those are the main things I do. Podcasts, um, I like to get in front of book clubs also. Mm-hmm. If I can do that, that's a little harder because every author wants to do that. Yeah, but your go- your books are good for book clubs as well. So lots of good ideas. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, it's just, it's such a struggle to, for authors who are just wanting to write, then to, you know, once the book is published, take off that writing hat for a while and just get out there and market. And some things work and some things don't. I like your ideas as, as far as going to a very specific organization where you had previous contact, the Bankruptcy Association, and get the book out because I'm sure those folks, as you say, if they read fiction, they'll be very, very interested in, in your book. So that's a smart idea. Well, and LinkedIn makes this pretty easy, um, interestingly, as a sort of one of the social medias that's available. I find that easier to use for what I'm going for than uh, Twitter or Facebook mm-hmm. or the other op- or Instagram. Um, and that that opens up the possibility that I can uh, access all the online from my college and law school. Mm-hmm. Um, just by posting to the you know the alumni association LinkedIn page, which has you know eight or nine thousand subscribers, and again, hopefully some of those are readers. And um, there are some pretty easy you know low hanging fruit ways to go about doing this if you start to think about who knows me, who might want to know me, <laughs> uh, who might want to read this kind of book, kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah, I think LinkedIn is an under underused resource. Um, I happen to like it myself very, very much. And I do do Amazon ads. 
Um, I, I started test driving Facebook ads and hated it yeah. because of anything against Facebook. It just didn't strike me as a way to sell books in the end. Right. But, you know, everybody goes to Amazon. 70% of the books in the world are sold on Amazon. And so if you take an Amazon book ad, um, it, it's uh, fascinating. Uh, and I think I've just begun to scratch the surface of all the different types of things you can do. It's not fabulously expensive. Um, but you're, you're reaching people that want to read, yeah. which is, which is huge. Lots of good tidbits here. Thank you so much for sharing that. Sure. Alrighty, my friend, as we begin to wrap up, anything we missed that you wanted to highlight today? Not really. This has been great. Anybody that would like to connect with me can go to markshakenauthor.com and sign up. I don't spam people with lots and lots of emails, um, but it's a way to keep track of what's going on, at least in my world. All right. So we're speaking with Mark Shaken, and the website is markshakenauthor.com. Shaken is spelled S-H-A-I-K-E-N. We talked about all four of his books, and just like that, his very first book, then Fresh Start, Automatic Stay, and Unfair Discrimination. And we will look forward to more work from you. Thank you so, so much for sharing you and your work and your author advice with us today. I so appreciate it. Well, thanks, Pat. This has been great. Appreciate it.